people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. You're welcome, college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend, sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girl. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. Theology matters. That's right. My name is Caleb Hag. With me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Going well. Shalom, shalom. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm really happy about that interview we did the other day. Yeah. So uh, for those who might not know, or if you're catching us for the first time, yesterday, Rob and I pre-recorded our Passover special. And the uh, um, Passover special, uh, which will air on April 12th, 2017, uh, is an interview with Dr. Brant Petrie. And boy, was that a good interview. A lot of fun. I saw I saw it reminded you of our Dr. Tilling interview, didn't it? Yes. Because yep. you went back and posted that for those. Actually, actually, okay, so this this might be confusing people on our on our YouTube page as well, because people might not realize this. Um, basically what happened was <laughs> for, for those who have been listening to the show for a long time, you probably remember that my face or my YouTube page got suspended. And when my YouTube page got suspended for six months, uh, basically what happened was I wasn't allowed to post videos over 10 minutes long. And so shows 113 through 132 were never posted on YouTube. And so this week I went back and I uploaded all of them to our YouTube page. So one person, Derek, was like, "What's going on? Did you? Are, why are you posting shows from two thousand? You know, from show, from uh, from season three, so on and so forth." So um, anyway, uh, so the last one. So show, that's why. Okay, I didn't realize that. I thought it was just the Chris Tilling one. No, so show 132, okay. which was the last one that I uploaded, was the Chris Tilling interview. And I was like, this is, we, I, I should post this again. Um, so, uh, what up and shalom to everybody in the chat room. And we're, we're, we're trying, we're trying some new stuff here today. And, and it's, uh, it's a little nerve wracking. I've been spending basically the past hour and a half trying to learn a new piece of software, hoping that we can finally get our, our audio and video sync issues worked out. And the chat room says that uh, it looks pretty good. And here's the thing is that um, we, <clears throat> we, can, we now have the ability, if this works out, we have the ability to stream not only to Facebook, which is really not my favorite platform. I, I really dislike uh, Facebook. But um, we'll be able to post to Facebook, st live stream to Facebook and to YouTube. And YouTube's really our, our, our platform. It's the platform we like the best because basically it's like, it's like a TV station for 
the Rob and Caleb show is essentially what it is. And uh, if you're on Facebook right now and you're trying to make comments or whatnot, um, then I would simply say look at the post below this because uh, the the chat room's going on in a different platform, and you kind of have to be on the on the know to be able to be in the in the chat room. Um, so sign up. I whether or not you're in the chat room or not, you should get our show notes, and uh, you can do that by going to torahresource.com, then hovering over radio, go down to the Rob and Caleb show. Boom, you can sign up for everything there. Uh, we're still working on that page. We're trying to make it better all the time. And let's get all this out of the way as well. Uh, of course, The Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Find all sorts of great free resources on all sorts of stuff. And right now, very Passover heavy, because Passover's coming up next week. Very excited for that. Uh, the Robin Caleb Show is also brought to you by Yeshua Shirts. Yeshua Shirts, start a conversation today. Go to YeshuaShirts.com, and if you want to get 10% off, enter the code TRRadio at checkout. You get 10% off, and that'll about cover your uh, your shipping, depending on where you are. Uh, but yeah, and we love those guys. I can't wait to uh, see uh, Steve's coming up. He's he's one of the uh, he's one of the guys who helps run, and I think owns. I could be wrong about that, but I, I think he helps run uh, YeshuaShirts.com. He's coming up for Passover, and interestingly enough, this is totally a side note. Um, <clears throat> Steve was the first person to stay in our guest room at our new house when we bought it. And so my son has called that room Steve's room ever since. Unfortunately, we have other people coming and they reserved Steve's room first. So Steve won't even be staying in Steve's room. He'll be staying oh. in Ben's room. I know. What can you do? But that does bring up the obvious point that it's almost Passover. And Passover starts on uh, Monday. That's Nissan 14's on Monday. So sunset at on, uh, on Nissan 14 is when Passover starts. And boy, I'm just in that mode, man. We It's just been a really, even preparing for it's been really fun. My wife's totally overstressed. Uh, for those who are watching and not listening on, on a podcast or listening on the radio right now, if you could see me, I look all disheveled. I don't even have a tie on. My hair is all, I need a haircut horribly. I haven't shaved. In a, it's just, it's, it's yeah, it is what it is. What about you? How's how's your Passover uh, cleaning and everything going, Rob? <laughs> it's, it's going all right. We... We have slow over the last year. We've kind of moved to this gluten-free kind of thing. Yeah, so it's super means, easy, easy to get well, out. Well, yeah, so it's different. And so I've been a couple months now on a pretty much gluten-free diet, just to see if it helps. You know, uh, some physical stuff. So, do you get do you I, get gluten-free bread out of your house during uh, Passover? Well, actually, we got a. <laughs> we don't really even have any. I don't even think we have any gluten-free bread right now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the cleaning is still on the, the things to do list for the next couple days. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, um, anything else? Oh yeah, of course. I'm sorry. One of the most important things of all, don't forget people out there to, um, to call our comment line and we love getting comments from you guys. Every comment I, that we get on the phone line, I send over to, uh, <clears throat> to Rob as well to be able to hear and so both of us listen to all the messages. We love getting uh, messages. There's a couple of people who call us every single week. And uh, we certainly do not get t tired of them calling not us. Not at all. We, no, love, we it. love it. We love it. Uh, so uh, give us a call. You won't talk to us. So if you if you hate us and you uh, you know you want to tell us how wrong we are, it's not like I'm going to pick up the phone and tell you you know tell you give you my opinion or anything. It's just a comment line. It's just a, a message machine. So you can call that number. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. I'll give it to you again. Get your pe pen and paper ready. It's 
3205. Okay, well, we had some, uh, and praise the Lord for this, because the Lord works in wonderful ways, not just mysterious ways and wonderful and blatant ways a lot of the time as well, right? And, uh, you know, we uh, we did a live stream yesterday with uh, with Michael Gonzalez, and I did a live stream yesterday with Adam Smith from Hidden Legend Winery on whether or not we should get beer out of our house during Passover. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, the day before that, uh, Rob and I uh, recorded the interview with Dr. Brant Petrie uh, for our Passover special. So the past week, I've just been trying to get ready for all this stuff, and I thought, man, how in the world am I ever going to prepare for the show on Wednesday? show 168 it is. And guess what? The Lord uh, prompted people to send us some really good emails. And so uh, we got lots to talk about today, even though I haven't done a whole lot of research on anything. And so I think it's uh, only fitting that we should probably open up the Robin Caleb Show mailbag. Mail Uh, by the way, Robbie uh, says in the uh, in the chat room, he says, I can't wait to try the mead wine. Never had it. I, I'm right there with you. For those who... Uh, most I think pe- that's Robbie with it. That's a she. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I know several Robbies. I apologize, Robbie. Um, but yes, I'm right there with you. Uh, Adam from Hidden Legend Winery, He uh, th- their winery predominantly makes mead. He's bringing some over for uh, for for Passover, and I'm very excited uh, to try it because I've I've never tried it. Um, and for those who don't know, we talked about this uh, we talked about this yesterday on the live stream with Adam from Hidden Legend Winery. Uh, and yes, you're right, Rob. Robbie is a she, and I apologize for that. I thought I thought you were a different Robbie. My bad. Anyway. Um, so we talked about uh, this process that they that they make this honey wine out of, and honey wine is really ancient. You know, it's like the the drink of the you know the the pagan cultures called it the drink of the gods, and uh, it was just really interesting to hear Adam describe that. So you can and for those who so did, wait a minute, are you guys bringing paganism into Passover celebration? Ah, uh, yes, just because uh, now now this is interesting. This is an interesting uh, 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 argument, isn't it? Just because, just because uh, they called it something, doesn't mean that it's. Uh, I have an ancient text showing. Yes. Isis drinking mead. Hidden legends winery mead. This is interesting because we're going to talk about this. So now that the mailbag's open, let's take a look. <clears throat> this was a uh, this is a comment on on uh, my father's article. For those once again who don't know, uh, and if you're new new to the show, I, I'm trying to keep people up to date on what's what's going on. You can find my father's uh, one page article on it is the name Easter from the pagan goddess Ishtar. You can find that on our uh, on our homepage TorahResource.com. And uh, there was a lot of play on this on this article on Facebook. A lot of people talked about it. A lot of people wanted to uh, you know discuss over this, which is great. We we love that kind of thing. Uh, and this is one of the comments, and I thought this this is not, you know, I'm not trying to pick on one specific person because this is only the one I grabbed. Several people brought this same kind of argument up. And we've been talking for the past couple of weeks about sources and what's a good source and ancient texts and and how to reference sources. And, and uh, so th- this argument is an interesting one to me, especially when we're talking about uh, what kind of sources we're actually using. So this is what this person says. Uh, Just before I was called by the Lord, I had a Jewish girlfriend who was raised pagan. 
real pagan, not the generalized term used by Hebrew roots. Okay, now this right here, I, I'm sure that, uh, and I, I honestly forget who I pulled this from, so um, I, I'm sure this person would be able to elaborate a little bit. Paganism seems to be much more of a broad term. It's like saying, uh, you know, my ex-girlfriend was Jewish. So there's all sorts of different flavors of, of paganism. And I don't think, it's not just like one strand of paganism goes back to, right. you know, right. Babylon. It's like, it's like Christianity. It's, you know, it's, there's all different factions. So, and I'm sure that mo like a lot of pagans would probably say, oh, that kind of pagan isn't real paganism. Oh, that kind of pagan isn't real pagan. You know, it's, right. so using a blanket term. It becomes like, a political term. Like, are we the, who's the real pagans here? Yeah, exactly. But, but for the most part, it's an out, it's what non-pagans use to describe like the practices of the peasantry or something, you know, that's, that's where it originated. But anyway, go ahead. Okay. So he, he goes on. She told me what she believes about Easter. <clears throat> she told me without hesitation that it was full of symbolism and that the real story was about what comes out of the egg that the rabbit laid. I don't understand why you're not asking pagans. Now, he's, he's saying uh, in terms of why we're not asking pagans about the pagan origins of, of well, wait Easter. Wait a minute, Bunny. Okay, I, I grew up in a, you know, Easter egg hunts kind of thing on Easter Sunday, etc. I never, even with all the bunnies and eggs, never heard a story that the bunny laid an egg. Is that a tradition in some places? That the I eggs actually kick? I don't know. I, had I, you heard that before? No, I had not. Either of, okay, so <clears throat> I, I this is new. This e this point in this email, that's new information for me. So, uh, but th this point, yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that might go back to Ishtar. <laughs> okay, so uh, now hang on. Now, now uh, he says, I don't understand why you don't just ask why you're not asking pagans. They believe what you're saying isn't true. Now, I don't necessarily think that's... We actually set up a survey and no one responded. <laughs> no, <laughs> no the, I mean, the, the point is, is that I, I don't... Once again, I, I would like to stress, I, and I've said this so many times, and I, I feel like some people aren't really listening. The point is, is that I'm not saying that rabbits and eggs at Easter time are not... It couldn't be from pagan sources. Maybe they are. I have no problem saying that. What I'm saying is, is that we don't have any proof of that and that Christian apologists sometimes have idea, like have, they put forth arguments of where they came from in the church. And my point is, is who's to say that the, that the Christian apologists are any less right than the people who are saying that it's pagan. Okay. And, and this is my point with this, uh. He ends this this uh, little comment. He says it's not the truth. It's not truth. We know this, but modern pagans believe it. Here's the problem: saying that modern pagans believe something about their modern holidays. Well, guess what? The Jews, you know, like, and I shouldn't say that, but there there are certain sects of Judaism, like the like certain sects of the Hasids, the Hasidic movement in general, believe that the Zohar, twelfth century goes back to Sinai. You ask any Hasidic 13th century, but yeah, that's right. 13th century, sorry. You ask any you ask any um, um, Hasidic Jew about the Zohar, they're going to tell you that it all goes back to Moses. Is that true? 
No, of course not. Just, just because you have a modern day, you know, just because you have somebody who, you know, played some Dungeons and Dragons. Well, it's like they're an authority now. Yeah, exactly. Like, like <laughs> so the, like, just, let's just talk about that. So there's, there was a girlfriend who was a real pagan, quote, real, not a fake pagan. Um, let's say, okay, said, wait, hang on. Let's get, she let's, said it meant this. Therefore, does, is she the spokesperson for all things pagan? <laughs> No, no. Once again, is I that think, what you're saying? And this is what, and and this is a, the point is that just because somebody in modern times says something, it doesn't matter what religion they're a part of, whether they're Christians, whether they're they're Jews, whether they're pagans, whether they're, it doesn't matter. If somebody in modern day says something about ancient times, great. Now show me a source. That's the point, and that's what we keep and trying to stress. Oh, oh. Can I add a point on the nuance? And this gets back to our this idea of sources we were talking about last week. The reason we want to have a source is is not simply so it looks like, oh, this ancient figure said this, like Aristotle. Therefore, it must be true. That's not why. We don't just do it and say, oh, well, Aristotle said that. What we do is we provide the citation of the source so our readers— can then go follow up and and look at what we looked at, right? So that they can retrace our steps and think for themselves. In other words, the citation of sources is to provide your audience with the same uh, data that you came to your conclusions from so that they can go and then they can have an informed discussion with you about whether or not you're even quoting it correctly. Right. Because the idea is we're we're collectively seeking to sharpen our swords. We're collectively seeking to grow in knowledge, not pull one over on somebody. That's not the the goal of citing something is not say, well, you know, I, I can cite Aristotle. No, ultimately, we need to know, OK, if you're going to say it's Aristotle, we're going to say, well, where's the text? When's where's the manuscript come from? Is there any disputes among that that tradition? I mean. It's a thorough investigation, no different than the, you know, the priests who are investigating a claim, you know, about something because it could lead to a life and death kind of situation. I mean, we we don't want to just build knowledge on sand. We want it to be built on rock, and that means it's it, it, we're all going to say, yeah, that's rock. That is rock. This is these are the facts, not oh, it's it, you know, this well, guy it, said it. And interestingly, you know, in in uh, trying to pre- prepare the intro to a thesis, which is now at thirty five pages, uh, this is just my intro. The thing is, is that. As I'm going through the argument that I'm trying to lay out for the uh, the chronology of the Passion and the Last Supper, one of the things that I've realized is I can't just state what I believe. In fact, one of the most important things to do is find the arguments that directly are the hardest arguments for me to address. Like, I have to find the most difficult thing to, to try to, uh, to, to work out. In other Be- words, right. Cause you're, you're anticipating what the naysayer is going to do. Exactly. Right? You're trying to anticipate the, the counter argument. And I have to and be, so and I have to answer it and say, you know, you're, and that's <clears throat> one of the things. And, and just to kind of, you know, how we've been throwing these Passover breadcrumbs ahead of time. Another one for our interview with Dr. Petrie, he actually said he would adopt the viewpoint yeah. of of these other scholars, and he said, I, I would, you know, sit in it for like a year, like really, really explore 
that per, that point of view as if he believed it, as if it was his own point of view. Yeah. And tried to defend it. And then he then he would go, okay, I've I've walked a mile in that guy's shoes, right? You know, I've I've tried to that wasn't the exact way to use that verse, but the idea is I've I've really heard this person out here. And um and he said it took him, you know, that was a ten year quest, you know, a ten year journey for him to go and to really adopt these different perspectives and to really sit in them and try them on. Um I think that's a a, a really admirable um it, well and it that's the kind of rigor that that good scholarship uh, has to you know it it must entail this kind of commitment to to hearing out the opposing view and then to be able to have a robust response as to why you're not just knocking it off at first blush you're actually exploring it and then saying no here's its weaknesses and why and here's the thing is that I want people to understand, you know, we constantly, I mean, for the past, how many shows now, how many shows have we been just going on and on and on about sources, looking at various sources, how to cite a source, all this kind of stuff. Why are we doing this? And the, re the reason I want to, I want our audience to hear this is because you look at somebody like Zach Bauer, whose heart is totally in the right place. He loves the Lord and he's trying so hard, you know, he's a brother in the Lord. I, I truly believe that. And I, and I admire his zeal. And he doesn't understand, you know, his response right now is, well, there's no source that's going to be good enough for people. If you don't, if you don't believe what I believe, I can bring any source that, that I want. It's never going to be good enough for you. So it's the belief determines his belief concerning these ancient sources is championing the evidence. In other words, it's. I, I no, you know, I think, I think that he thinks that he has really good sources. And what my point is, is that. For our audience, what we're trying to do is we're trying to show you what scholarship considers is a good source. And it's not that we're trying to pick on Zach Bauer and say, no, you're, uh, you know, the sources that you've brought, for those who haven't uh, caught our previous shows, uh, Zach Bauer, who runs uh, newtotorah.com, uh, has put forward uh, what he believes is, is solid evidence that uh, Easter comes from Ishtar the goddess Ishtar and, and Eostra and back into B Babylon and Nimrod and sun god worship. And so he, you know, when we say, no, these aren't good sources. And then he, he says, well, I have 2000 year old text. Well, it, it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's not, you can't just say I have 2000 year old text. You know, what's in the text? What does the text say? And actually uh, this brings us, this is a great segue into our next piece of mail because uh, uh, a dear brother in the Lord who I, who I admire and, and respect, uh, Philip, he put this on our Facebook page too as well. Philip's no slouch when it comes to scholarship. He, uh, he, I believe that he runs a couple of archaeological Facebook pages and uh, as I believe him and his wife both have uh, done uh, work in, in linguistics and whatnot. Uh, so he's no slouch. Uh, this is what he says. He says, there does seem to be an important fallacy in your paper. And he's talking about the paper that my, that my father, uh, that my father wrote on, on Easter. He says, in concentrating on the etymolo etymology of the names, you have failed to recognize that the, that the same God or goddess might be known by different people under different connecting names. Hence, Ephesus became a center for the veneration of the goddess regar regardless of the name used to denote her. 
It is interesting that often a god or goddess under differing names can share similar traditions and attributes in a wide variety of cultures. There is little doubt that the ancients recognized this and did not get caught up in discussions, re etymology. Okay, this is a this is a very good point, and and I I thank you for the comment, Philip. I then responded and said, you know, I don't think that we have, <clears throat> I don't think that we really have uh, good evidence that, uh, you know, Yostra, that, that, that Easter was named after Yostra. Actually, I think what I said was, I don't think we have good evidence that, that uh, Yostra was worshipped. And he said, well, Bede was, uh, is a good reference. I think that that could be debated. Uh, Bede makes some interesting mistakes, and I think scholars realize that. Not the point. Uh, I, I accept what Philip's saying here that that Bede is a good is a good uh, reference in this. We'll we'll accept Bede as a good reference in this for you today. Give a, uh, the venerable venerable Bede. Right? Yes, he was a he lived in the I think eighth century Britain. Yep. So he was a church. Um, I don't remember what his official title was in terms of ecclesiastical kind of hierarchy but he wrote in latin and he wrote one of the books he wrote is uh, the reckoning of time and he goes through and compares different ways of timekeeping among um you know greeks etc and and he has a section on the english months i think that's where people hear this they associate bead with writing and comparing the word easter with um Ishtar. Not with, with Ishtar. Or well, Eostra. Yeah, Eostra. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, now, I, I, once again, I respect uh, Philip, and I, I'm willing to say that I, that I was wrong in, in my uh, statement on Facebook because he's right. Bede does say that, uh, that Eostra had a cult that uh, used to celebrate to her and these kind of things. Now, this is on, I'm going to let you know what I'm reading here. So, this is a trans, the translated text. For Historians, Volume 29, Bede, The Reckoning of Time, translated with introduction notes and commentary by Faith Wallace, Liverpool University Press. Okay? So, and I am going to start on page 53. This is number 15. Uh, now, once again, I fully understand I'm not a Latin speaker or a translator by any stretch of the imagination. This is in English, so I know that I'm automatically starting with, you know, my hands tied behind my back, essentially, okay? Um, but he starts out, this This is the English months, okay? In old times, the English people, for it did not seem fitting to me that I should speak of other nations, obser uh, observance of the, of the year, and yet be silent about my own nations, calculated their months according to the course of the moon. Hence, after the manner of the Greeks and the Romans, the months take their name from the moon, for the moon is called Mona, and the month... Mon Monoth. Okay, so now what he's going to do is he's going to go through, and here's the interesting thing is that, is that in my father's paper, he references this, and he talks about this a little bit, and I had never actually sat down and read this text, and the other day, my, my father brought it in, and he gave it to me and said, uh, you know, you might want to take a look at this if you're going to be talking about this kind of stuff, because because of Philip's uh, uh, comment here, I thought, well, yeah, I should totally go and, and see what Bede says. Um, so at this point, what Bede is doing is he's telling people where the uh, where the the month names come from, and he says, um, 
give me just a second here. Um, so he's t- when he, it's interesting because when he's talking about the Christians, when he's talking about himself and the Christian faith, he says we. Now, once again, this could be a translation error. I'm not. I would not fall on my sword for this by any stretch of the imagination. But when he's talking about the pagans, when he's talking about the pagans and what they call the months, he says they. And so this is at least how it's translated. I can't speak for the original Latin. So down here, this is this is the only part I believe in his whole, uh, at least in this section, that he mentions Iostra. And I'm going to read this for everybody. He says, nor is it irrelevant, for we take the trouble to translate the names of other months. The month, the months of Giuli derive their name from the day when the sun turns back and begins to increase, because one of these months precedes this day, and the others and the other follows. Salmanath can be called the month of cakes, which they offered, which they offered to their gods in that month. Okay, once again, and you can hear what the point I'm trying to make in their, you know, he's saying their gods. Herethmanoth is named for their goddess Heretha, to whom they sacrificed at this time. Eostramanoth has a name which is now translated Paschal Month, and which was once called after the goddess of theirs named Eostra, in whose honor feasts were celebrated in that month. Now they designate that Paschal season by her name calling the joys of the new rite by the time-honored name of the old observance. Now, this is the only place that he mentions Eostra in accordance with the Paschal month. And the way that I'm reading this, I could be wrong here, but the way that I'm reading this is that the Christians are calling it Paschal month because it's the month that the Passover is in, right? But the pagans are the ones who call, call it Eostra. He says they, right? He says, Eostramanath has the name which is uh, which is now translated Paschal Month and which was once called after a goddess of theirs named Eostra, in whose honor feasts were celebrated in that month. Now they designate that Paschal season by her name, calling the joys of the new rite by the time-honored name of the old observance. At the end of this whole section, he says, Good Yesu, thanks be to thee, who has turned us away from these vanities and given us grace to, to offer to thee the sacrifice of praise. So, first of all, he's talking about months and what the name of, of a month is. Okay, it's, it's, The way I hear it, Caleb, and I, maybe we're on the same page here, it sounds, is that what Bede is saying in his time, so imagine, you know, 8th century Britain in Latin, he's still calling it Pascha. Yeah. He, he's not, at this point, if we just time travel back to Bede, it's not that he comes around to celebrating <clears throat> Resurrection Sunday after Good Friday, right? Because they're definitely on a calendar not not the quarter decimal, right? They're not they're yes. not observing according to Nissan fourteen. Uh, but he's not going to call it. He's he's not calling it Easter. He's calling it Pascha still. In the same way that Doctor Petrie says the same thing. They don't in Latin. They, in Greek, it's called Pascha still, even even though they're celebrating on a Friday, Good Friday, and a Sunday, yeah. Resurrection Sunday. They not they're not calling it Easter in their official liturgy. They call it Pascha. Um, what it seems to be the saying is that pagans, if we want to use that word, at his time, 
who associate are using this word, uh, what, how do you say it, Eastromonoth or whatever, are they kind of include, they see what the Christians are doing, and they call it according to Easter. Is that is that what he's saying? Yeah, and actually, um, one of the things that I tried to do, and I, I didn't do a thorough enough job, so I'm more than welcome to be uh, told differently on this. I can't find... I, in the in the very small amount of, of looking that I did yesterday, I'm not able to find any church father or anybody say that uh, call this time of the year Easter until around the Reformation. I believe Tyndale calls it Easter, and by this point, I think that what he's doing is he's he's using a month name. Like we would say April or February or something like that. Um, but I don't I, I I can't find anybody calling any Christian writer. And please, if you know otherwise, I would love to, you know, send me an email, seahagatorresource.com. I'd love to, I'd love to see this because I, I'm trying to uh, find the progression. You know, if we're gonna say that that uh, Bede is saying that the that the Christians called this season Easter, which I don't think he's saying. I don't think that that's what he's saying at all. I think he's saying we have this season, the the pagans call the Paschal season after a god, Eostra. So uh, that's what I think he's saying. And uh, to answer the chat room, yes, uh, it's on Facebook. The audio's off horribly, and I, I apologize for that. What you're going to want to do is uh, go to the Torah resource. Uh, he, uh, the chat room's asking about our conversation with uh, Adam Smith yesterday. And yes, the answer is yes, it's up on the Torah resource Facebook page. Uh, just turn it on and then don't watch it. Just listen to it. That's the best thing you could do. Okay, um, let's keep going. We have a couple more comments, and... The, and um, Actually, there's one more uh, email that we got that uh, was really good. And, you know, if today is a little bit of a shorter show, that's totally fine. I, you know, especially seeing as though we have um, we have such a blockbuster next week. Uh, and I, the nice thing is, is that Rob and I actually get uh, Passover off now because uh, Dr. Petrie was so kind, uh, uh, kind enough to pre-record with us. Um, so this, this last one, and I know that uh, Rob will have something to say about this. Uh, this last email came to me yesterday. This gentleman says, I have a friend who went from Hebrew roots who now believes we should all follow the oral law, Talmud, etc. When it comes to interpreting the Torah, basically his point is, without following the sages and listening to their rulings on Shabbat, Zitzit, shaving side of beard, etc., we will all be following our own guidelines and the messianic world will be a complete mess. Essentially, he is saying we need authority and we might as well follow the authority that has been in place for some time. Without having an authority like the Sanhedrin, we have to come up with our own guidelines. I have so much that I could say about this. Um, and thank you for such a, a well put question. This is one that I think a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters probably won't understand why we would even discuss this kind of thing. But this is this is actually a very important topic, and the reason why is because so many people in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement are kind of torn over this. How much rabbinic tradition and how much a tradition in general, whether it's Christian tradition or uh, or rabbinic tradition, whatever you want to, want to say, right? I mean, sh should we go to Ash Wednesday? Should you know? Uh, and most people in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement are going to say, of course not. But the Christian brothers and sisters are going to say, no, it's it's not a you know it's not a bad holiday, but all these kind of things. 
Uh, so what side of the fence do we should we land on? It's it's a very, very good question. Uh, now, do you want to start on this, uh, Rob? First thoughts? Uh, well, I have a, yeah, I have a couple thoughts. The a couple verses. Hmm. Um, let, let's just assume that viewpoint. Okay. Let's, let's assume that I'm a Hebrew roots person and I want to make sure that I'm not inventing my own uh, traditions because you know I could be totally wrong. Okay, so let's say I'm anxious about that. I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety. Yeah. I want to walk in the ways of the Torah, but I just, I'm without a tradition, and so I don't know what to do. Okay, and then I come across like an art scroll book or uh, com or whatever. Oozing with rich tradition, right? Yeah. With, with, know, and, with, wow. and culture, and culture. It's, it's a and wonderful, culture. beautiful it's like, culture. Man, I'm really missing out. Okay. If I don't recognize art scroll or Aish, or Chabad, as missionary proselytizing institutions, which in fact they are. Sure. Right? If, I, if, I, if I'm a little on the naive side, and I think, oh, Art Scroll, this is just the truth. Or I read um, Aish.com, oh, these guys are sincere, this is just true Judaism. Or I read Chabad material, oh, this is just true, official, authentic Judaism. And I... I kind of start romancing with that notion and not uh, and not uh, have it on my dashboard that, you know, deet, deet, you know, proselytizing, you know, missionary work sure. going on here. Then I start can start getting a little bit woozy or drunk with with what I'm reading. And but the, even then, if that is ha- happens, heaven forbid, I'm going to have to choose to at one point to call somebody rabbi, right? I'm going to have to choose, I'm going to have to find someone who's going to, let's say, convert me. Even if I'm, let's say I'm halakhically, you know, born Jewish, but, um, but there, let's say there's some sort of discrepancy or they don't know for sure. So I have to go through some sort of acknowledgement procedure. I have to go through some little hoops and jumps. Uh, maybe pay a fee to get officially, you know, if uh, let's say they don't recognize my Jewishness. Okay. I still have to go through an institutional channel. I have to go through a flesh and blood person. And that person is going to mediate to me the meaning of the tradition differently than another guy. If you go to Chabad's going to be a different path than, let's say, Aish or, you know, then you've, and that's, we're not even talking about the differences among uh, the different strands. You know, you've got, you know, reform tradition, you've got reconstructionists, you've got uh, conservative, all these uh, big labels. But you, you, you in any were... event, any of these have institutional, there is no monolithic Judaism. What you have is institutional uh, organizations of real people with presidents and vice presidents, you know, and, and rabbinical boards. Um, with their with their bottom line platforms and things like this, and you're going to have to go through one of those, and even then, you are having to enter into a situation where you are you have to kind of put your thinking cap off to the side, and you're going to have to transgress some of Yeshua's commandments to do that. You're going to have to transgress, call no man rabbi. Right, and I know that there's people in the messianic world who have messianic rabbis, and they call them rabbi, rabbi, rabbi. I don't get it. 
you know, that's, but Matthew 23 says, don't, don't call any man rabbi. Not only that, let's even set aside that. Let's, let's, let's not even focus on that passage because people want to quibble about what did Yeshua mean there. Go to the beginning of Matthew 23. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Okay. Yeshua gives us, he tells us to not do according to the way they do. So, so if Yeshua wanted you to follow the Talmud, you, he, he's giving you, he's putting a stumbling block in front of you right off the bat by telling you, you're going to have to have a discernment with when you listen to them and when you don't. If a, a, a modern Orthodox Jew, even more so in a, a, a Hasidic Jew or an ultra-Orthodox, they do not have a permission slip that to, to, dis, to start parsing whether or not they agree with their rabbi. That's not an option. Yeah, it's because a, it's all Torah. <clears throat> it's all Torah. You can't, you, you can't, you're not given uh, a distance to, to think for yourself along some of those things, whether you're going to accept a tradition or not. Um, it, and so this is a very, very big issue. If, if you call the halakha the <clears throat> word of God, and this is this is Yeshiva University here, the, the Elchanan Yeshiva, the Yeshiva University, modern Orthodox, is that the rabbinic halakha is the capital W word of God. Yeah. You cannot have that and the gospels and the epistles, etc., be the word of God. You can't have it both ways. Not only that, one more point. Yeshua says we must discern. His disciples must do the hard work, and it's a narrow path of discerning between the Word of God and the traditions of men. We are called, that is a commandment, basically, implicitly, that Yeshua gives us. We can't, we can't just swallow everything that we hear as, as authentic as, as if it's the Word of God. We're called to investigate and to be patient and all the fruits of the Spirit that, that are uh, encouraged and challenged to grow while we're in that uh, realm of, of trying to differentiate between what is the Word of God and what tradition meant. If you jump into an Orthodox community, you, you're, you've, you've turned off that part of your being, and, and you, cannot, you, you can't be long for uh, life <laughs> with, with Yeshua in that kind of situation. So... Um... He says, we will, after naming some of these things, he says, we will all be following our own guidelines and the messianic world will be a complete mess. Here's the thing. Okay. First of all, even the rabbis disagree with that. And the reason why is because when uh, Moses's father-in-law comes, right? And he says, he says, what are you doing here? I'm paraphrasing, of course. What are you doing here? You know, you're trying to listen to everybody's argument. No, you put judges up and, and you know, and then uh, put local judges up and all these kind of things, right? And this is where the, the Orthodox get the idea of ask your local rabbi. I'll give you a story. My father, this has happened to my father numerous times now. And I was actually there for one of them. We were sitting in an airport. And there was an uh, uh, Orthodox guy, and uh, it was Shabbat, and we, you know, my uh, my father doesn't like to travel on Shabbat, but sometimes you can't you can't get around it. And so uh, this Orthodox man, he also expressed that he didn't want to be traveling, but he had to, and and he had uh, brought some food, and he offered some food to my father and me, which was very nice of him. And uh, obviously, my dad looks very much like uh, an Orthodox Jew, and uh, I was wearing my keep as well. 
Well, my dad was eating and he pulled out his computer and he turned his computer on. He opened his, his uh, computer. And the guy looked at him and said, what are you doing? You can't open your computer on Shabbat. And my dad said, no, my rabbi said it's okay. And the, guys, the guy without batting an eye just said, oh, okay. Now, of course, for him and his halakha, in his local community, opening his computer on Shabbat is not allowed. And he's not allowed to do that. But since my, my father said, no, I, uh, my rabbi says it's okay. Oh, okay, no problem. The point is, is that the whole concept of keeping Torah and the way that the, the uh, various Orthodox communities observe the uh, observe the the oral Torah is that they ask their local rabbi and that's the point I think one of and I actually agree with this I think one of the beautiful things about um, messianic communities I it used to bug me so much when people would put tzitzit on their belt loops I thought what come on like you can't buy a, a talit katan you know, you can't, come on, you can't tie your tzitzit on a, on a real gitan. You got to put them on. And of course, no Orthodox or no Jewish person would ever do that. You know, you're making us look bad. That's what I used to think. And I, the Lord really worked on me on that one because I started going to various communities with my with my dad as we were traveling for Torah Resource. And uh, then people at our own community started doing that as well. There are people at our community who, who, have, uh, who have their tzitzit on their belt loops and, and whatnot. And you know what? I realized, why in the world does it matter? If a community has that halakha, that's their halakha, that's fine. It's not up to me to tell them that they're doing anything wrong. It's up to their community and whether or not their community thinks that's right or wrong and how their community interprets that that scripture. Now, obviously, I think that that can go too far, right? And we see this within the scripture. We see this in Corinth, um, you know, uh, the immoral, immorality that, that Paul is talking against is clearly against scripture. You can't, you know, but on the things that need to be interpreted, on the things that we don't have specific guidelines for, how do you tie tzitzit? Go ask your local, your your congregational leaders. Ask your, you know, ask people in your congregation. How are we? How are we tying tzitzit here? Or how do you tie your tzitzit? You know, if even even on things that I disagree with. When we went to uh, we went to a, a congregation one time, they separated milk and meat. And so during lunch, I didn't come in with you know like a, a lasagna. You know, a meat lasagna. No, of course not. You come in and you observe as, as they observe because that's what they're doing. In the, I might disagree with it. I might not think it's a commandment, but at the same time, I'm going to honor the fact that that's what their community does. And I think this is the way that the Torah has been set up. There are hard and fast rules, and then there are other things that are not. And the idea that we have to attach ourselves to the Talmud or the Mishnah or whatever to be able to get these guidelines is absolute nonsense. Well, there, and then the other side of that too, Caleb, is where does it stop? If I, if I accept the Talmud, if I go, let's say, let's say, you know, someone, heaven forbid, wants to convert under Chabad, and they go there and they start learning Hasidic literature, which draws on certain types of Zohar readings, right? Next thing you know, you're, you know, reincarnation. So now, are you saying if a Yeshua believer who's, who's now going under Chabad is somehow going to retain their faith in, in, and anchoring in the gospel when they're being told that uh, the Baal Shem Tov ascended to heaven and t had a conversation with the Messiah sometime in the 18th century, and you know, and then reincarnation and um, 
you know, freeing souls that came back as frogs, you know, and freeing them so they could come back as a person. You know, I mean, do, do you have to start adopting this kind of nonsense? Well, if you're immersed in that world, you can't you can't just say, well, I don't believe there's that. No, there's no <laughs> grounds for you to divide with people on things. They're going to say, well, you're just being contentious. And why are you even part of our community? Right. I mean, it's it's a it's a great question, but there or well, it's a, I want to say it's slightly naive. It's a, it's a um, sure slightly naive into what it is you'd really be entailing. So well, what we what our position is is that you we try to just like you know for those who've listened to the Dr. Wallace re, you know recordings and teachings on uh, the manuscript tradition for the apostolic writings, we want to be good historians. So when we are when we are going to study the Talmud, for example, we want to understand it in its historical setting. When we study the Mishnah, we want to understand it in its historical setting. When we when we study, you know, Dead Sea Scrolls, same thing. When we study the Septuagint, same thing, right? We we want to understand the text as a product from a certain time and a certain place, and understand that the social things the Religious things, all uh, um, contentions, wars, power—all these kind of things are behind what is moving people to to write and talk about the ideas that are important to them at those times, and and that's how we understand it. It would be the same for reading the Book of Mormon, right? There's nothing wrong with reading the Book of Mormon, but you, you have to understand that where does it come from? It was written by a guy who, well, who? So you learn about who the guy was, what his story is, what was he doing in the early 1800s and he wrote this book right <laughs> and he wanted to make it look like this like a, a second bible right so so you try to understand it and then you see oh well the book of mormon changed over time well why did it change well you know because it didn't it didn't have full traction with kind of what modern world was doing right so we try to understand things in their context yeah. and that is so important. You don't just pick up the book of Enoch and go, oh, this is what, this is the revelation to Enoch, ancient world, and everybody's missing out. You know, I've talked to people that, that, you know, they read those books, but they, they read it without the historical context. And they think like it's some valid vision that Enoch had that is, was kept secret from the world. You know, and there's people that you can find books of Enoch and Jasher and things like that that are sold that way. Here's the truth yeah, of course. that has been hidden from you. Well, the, how many times does that sell a book? Over and over and over again, that sells a book. Here's the secret lost words of Jesus that the church has hidden from you for these you know, centuries. Oh, you know, now we're Indiana Jones and the crusade kind of thing. We want to find the truth. Um, well, and so, we, we, talk, we, we, see, we see Paul uh, talk about this too, right, in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, you know, he's talking about meat offered to idols. And he says, but if, it's, but it, but if your brother, if it's going to make your brother stumble, you know, I'm, uh, once again, I'm paraphrasing. Now, this just goes to show that uh, I, have not, uh, I have not hidden the, the word in my heart as well as I should, as Gary has uh, so often encouraged me to do, which I'm trying to do, by the way. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to learn a, a verse a, a day. Um, but the point is, is that uh, Paul's talking about uh, food offered to idols, right? And he says, but if your brother believes that you shouldn't eat it, then don't make your brother stumble, right? So the same thing is going on in the, in the first century when Paul is talking. Um, but I think that, the, uh, I think that the, the point that 
Rob is so wonderfully making is that no, the idea that there's this one monolithic uh, tradition that, that Judaism have has is simply not true. We got just a couple minutes left, and I want to uh, talk. You know, we've talked a lot about. I'm shifting gears now. Is is there anything else you want to say about that before we shift gears? I would just say the the if you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling like unsure about, am I doing this right? Um, the solution to that is not, you're not going to find solace in, in rabbinic Judaism. Boy, is it, that is for that, sure. So what, what you want to do, if that's how you're feeling, is to go back to the basics. Ask yourself, do I have shalom with God? Go back to Romans 5. Hmm. Do I have shalom with God? Yeah. Are you trying to please men or are you trying to please God? And if you're trying to please God... The Gospels make it clear, Paul makes it clear, especially in Romans, your your righteousness is that you are found in Messiah, that your new life, that you're participating in Yeshua's resurrected life, which is, which is uh, fully acceptable. Like, God, look, God, what did the Father say to the Son? He said, behold my Son, right? And this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased— if you're in Messiah, that's that's where you are. And the, and what you're on then is a trajectory of growth, right? You're the you're a branch on the vine, and you and you'll be pruned so that you'd be more fruitful. And that's where you want to recognize. That's where the roots are. Those are the the roots of the tree transplanted by the streams of water, like Psalm one says. And you're going to bring mm. forth fruit, right? And you meditate on the Torah, and as you go, the Torah. You know, for those of us on the three-year cycle, we're in this, you know, Leviticus 4, Leviticus 5. This is a place of where the Torah understands, God understands. We know in the Torah that God understands that our, our, we're fallible as humans. We don't know everything right off the bat. Discernment is something that we grow in over the long haul. And the presumption is that as we learn new things, we'll probably modify our, our practice to be more and more conformed to Yeshua, because that's who we're looking at. We're looking at Yeshua. Uh, we're not looking at the way the rabbis are doing it and comparing ourselves with them and, and saying, oh, I need to be more like them because look how righteous they look. That's uh, If we find that kind of thinking in ourselves, we need to say, okay, that we need to prune that off. We need to focus on Yeshua and not uh, let fear of, of being judged negatively by a certain group, religious group, as being a motivator. Could you imagine Yeshua being afraid of what people were going to think of him? No. It, it, he says he suffered outside the camp. He came into his own, and his own received him not. So um, we, part of that, I understand. I, I know what that feels like to be a, a little bit anxious on things like that. But we got to find uh, our answers in Yeshua. Our answer is in, in the shalom with God. That's where our answer is. You know, I, uh, just as a side note, and, uh, you know, we, we normally don't plug a lot of uh, other other uh, teachings and whatnot on this show. But I, I, I have to say, if you haven't uh, if you haven't listened to Alistair Begg's uh, recent, I think it's four-part series on spiritual warfare, uh, he, he talks about just some amazing, amazing things and, and very encouraging as well. How 
believers need to be in the word every single day, um, you know, and how we need to make time for these kind of things and, and you know, um, personal relationship with God and, and how and what the armor of God is. How, like, how do we implement that? Anyway, it's, it's free. You can listen to it on iTunes. Uh, you can also get it at Truth For Life. It's free. You can download it from them. And uh, it's, uh, it is very well worth listening to. And not only that, but uh, for those who don't know Alistair Begg, uh, his, um, <laughs> his nice Scottish accent is very easy to listen to. So uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a fun one. Okay, um, the last thing I want to uh, discuss on this show is, uh, on this episode, is why should Christians celebrate Passover? We've talked a lot about the chronology of the Passion, and, and next week on the Passover special, we have Brant Petrie, who's going to talk about, you know, how to reconcile the Gospels and, and, and John, uh, the synoptics and John together in, in terms of the chronology of the Passion. We've talked about uh, many different things, and, uh, you know, I, I've realized that... Uh, Michael, Michael Gonzalez and I also did preparing for Passover. That was just kind of, um, you know, what do we need to get out of our house? Uh, what are some of the things we can think about? Uh, things like that. <clears throat> I've realized that, uh, you know, Torah Resource does sell a, a wonderful uh, video series by Ariel Berkowitz called The Exodus Gospel. It, it was really one of the better teachings that I've uh, had the pleasure of editing uh, not not that they aren't all great, but man, it really kind of opened up uh, the uh, the uh, the Exodus uh, and and the way that people saw the coming Messiah uh, to, to my eyes. Um, but we haven't really uh, talked uh, more about why Christians. And let's take out the one Torah theology for a second. Take out the argument that well, uh, if you're sanctified, you should be keeping. Uh, you should be keeping Torah. What are some of the other reasons that, that Christians should be celebrating uh, Passover? And not just the Seder. I'm talking about the whole week of Passover. Um, do you want to go first, or do, would you like me to go first? Well, I, one of the things we hit right away is one of the things Dr. Petrie, who is uh, a devout Catholic, mentions is that they call it, in their litur- liturgy, they call it the Pascha. So what they're doing, in one respect— you know, they might say, well, we do, we celebrate Pascha, right? So, so what does it mean that we're talking about? Um, my assumption, Caleb, is what you're asking is why don't Christians observe the Nissan calendar, right? In terms of the first month of the year. Well, and, okay. Uh, well, this is, uh, this is actually, uh, thank you for, for clarifying, because I think that Christians do celebrate the resurrection of, of the Messiah, obviously, the death and resurrection of the Messiah. And that's one of the things that we certainly, as believers, obviously, I mean, I think that our previous shows prove that, right. that that's... Our four, all four Gospels are like, that's the climax of, of, of the story, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, but... There's something missing from the Easter celebration in the church. And in my mind, it's the, it's the fact of the actual exodus from Egypt. God, it's, it's that whole narrative that has been lost and not overshadowed because I don't think the death of the Messiah and the resurrection of the Messiah uh, during this time, I think that should overshadow basically everything, right? But I guess the question is, should Christians... The people who are still in the Christian church and don't believe that uh, Torah is necessarily uh, still for them today, should, why shouldn't they be celebrating Passover? And not just not just an Easter Sunday resurrection service, but I'm talking the whole seven days of unleavened bread. 
Is that it should Christians be doing that? And in my my opinion, the answer is yes. There's no doubt that the, that uh, you know the the first believers in the first century, Paul and all and, and the disciples and whatnot. Even after Yeshua left, I am 100% convinced that they were still celebrating the oh, Passover. Yeah, you know, and Paul even says, I think Paul commands us to celebrate Passover in 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, this is in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8. He says, clean out. And he's talking about immorality. I have no problem with that. I, I And I understand what he's saying. He's equating leaven, right, to sin, which the the Bible does often. He says, clean, uh, cleanse out the old, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he says, let us therefore celebrate the festival. What does he mean by celebrate the festival? I actually, uh, you know, I didn't want to, uh, our, our interview with Dr. Petrie, I, you know, there were several things that I, that he said that I kind of disagree with. Um, and I didn't want to challenge him on, on certain things because that's not, certainly not what the inter- interview was about. Um, but go ahead. I was saying Paul, later in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 10, he talks about the Exodus going through the sea, being baptized. That yeah. Just so Paul is using, putting both those together. He's thinking of them together. He's thinking them of the, the passion and the Passover, the being baptized in the sea, being baptized into Messiah, which is participating in his death and his resurrection, which fits with the, the tradition that, that says, you know, that God delivered me from Egypt. Well, okay. Here's, here's, here's the one, maybe one, one aspect, Caleb, of what you're trying to drill down to is, has to do with this olive tree being grafted in. Do I see it as my story? Or is the church something that was brand new at Pentecost? Mm. Or, um, and I've, I've seen this before, you know, in popular Christian writings, it's as if, it's as as if the Bible started with the New Testament. And then, right, and we've talked about this before, but but Paul, in Galatians, in Romans, he's anchoring our faith to Abraham, that we are Abraham's children and heirs according to the promise. That means I have to see myself, if I see myself as a son of Abraham and as heir according to the promise, then that means I have to, well, what happened with Abraham's children? Oh, they've been, they, they've been given God's Torah, right? They were delivered. They were, they were in bondage. They couldn't do anything to help themselves. God delivered them with the you know, mighty hand, outstretched arm, etc. Um, when they couldn't do anything for themselves, gave them a Torah, that, a ways that they could walk, that they would walk with God, that his very presence would be among them and that they would um, be his people and he would be their Elohim and so on and so forth. That's, that's what we want to be part of. And part of the Exodus saying, yeah, that's me. I, my roots are in that story. And I think one thing that, that it might be true in, you know, popular Easter or Resurrection Sunday Christianity is that they're seeing maybe the fruit, some of the fruits of the tree, but they're not connecting with the sap, right? They're not connecting through the trunk all the way down into the roots to see themselves as part of the story, that this is my story. Rather, it's there's that maybe that distance. Oh, that's ancient Israel's story. My story's different. 
Um, I got a private message, and sorry for responding to everyone. Um, I got a private message from someone asking about uh, the question that we got. You and I discussed this. I, I want to go back to the Passover in just a second, but uh, the Mark 14, 27 through 28. Uh, Jonathan, uh, thank you for the question. We probably won't be able to get to it today. Um, I haven't had time to actually look at the Zechariah passage, um, but I will uh, I will private message uh, the person who sent that. Uh, sorry for bringing that up on air, but yeah, just to answer that quickly. Um, I wrote down just a couple of things about Passover. And, you know, there are people who have put out videos on why Christians should celebrate Passover. Um, and I haven't actually watched any of them, so I'm probably just repeating what these people have said. Um, but uh, so I put down four, four, thing, four reasons why I think Christians, and this is outside of the idea that the Torah uh, is still in act today for, for Jew and Gentile alike and anyone who, who uh, has the Messiah as their savior. But these are the four reasons that I have. It was a celebration of the Exodus from Egypt. And this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest uh, story told, right? In history, it's like one of the greatest uh, stories ever told in history. And so, uh, and, and God tells us, you know, in, in the Torah that we're supposed to remember this wonderful story throughout eternity, right? It's, it's a, a statute forever. So it's something that God wanted us to remember and celebrate. And so uh, that's number one, is that it's one of the greatest stories uh, ever told, and God wanted us to remember it. Number two, it was a celebration of our personal salvation. So it was a showing of what the personal salvation through the Messiah has done. And that we see that now as believers, we see that as the culmination, all coming together with the death of the Messiah. So both both things need to be uh, need to be celebrated at the same time. Uh, it was celebrated by Yeshua. Number three, it was celebrated by Yeshua. We are the disciples. We are the we're the uh, uh, yeah we're uh, we're the disciples of the Messiah, Yeshua, right? And so we should want to do everything that he's he he did, and we should want to follow in his footsteps and celebrate as he celebrated. And I think it gives us insight into his actual life and the way that he was raised, the way that he was. And I'm not saying that uh, a traditional Orthodox seder is going to inform you on the life of the Messiah and, and how and how he celebrated Passover, but certainly the things that are commanded in Torah, he, he did, right? And so it, it informs us, those things inform us about what he did at this season, how he might have done them, and even the mindset that he was in when he was doing these things, all the way from a child up until he, he uh, was crucified, right? And number four, we have a detailed account of what our Lord was doing the night before his death. It is not only meaningful, but helps bring scripture alive to follow his actions through the day. And I'm not just talking about the Passover Seder. I'm talking about the whole unleavened bread. When we start, when we take the leaven out of our house, and then we have to be very vigilant not to eat something. You know, you go to work and somebody brought donuts in, or you, you know, you yeah, you go out to eat with some friends, and uh, you know, they, there's uh, there's bread on the table, you know, at the restaurant or whatever. It, we're constantly checking ourselves, and it is a direct, uh, it's a direct picture of our lives and sin and how sin, you know, can creep into our lives. It's a constant reminder throughout that entire week. And we see the, the resurrection of the Messiah and him walking with the men on the road to Emmaus and these things. It's not just that first night. It's this whole progression of time. And uh, so I think it's, I think it's uh, very enlightening. It brings the scriptures alive, uh, not just the apostolic scriptures, not just the story of, of the Messiah dying on the cross, but also of the exodus from Egypt and God reaching in. And, and I, I think we see the Messiah Yeshua 
you know, he's all over the Exodus story, right? He's, he's literally there. You know, uh, the angel of God comes and, and, and follows them, you know, to make sure. So we see the angel of the Lord leading his people through the water. Uh, this, I, I, which I think is the Messiah Yeshua before he, before he came, uh, as, as a babe, right in, in Bethlehem. Um, and so I, I think if we, if we start to celebrate these things and start to focus on the things that, that the scriptures told us to do, even if you don't think it's a commandment, why wouldn't you want to celebrate something that God at, at least at one time wanted his people to celebrate? That's my point. Um, I, I do apologize to uh, Bethany, and, and we talked about getting to Mark 14, 27 through 28, and uh, I, I honestly need to, uh, I need to, it's a, it's a great question, and it's one that I need to look at a little bit closer. Um, I wanted to look at Meredith Klein's commentary on Zechariah. There's a couple other uh, commentaries on Zechariah that I wanted to look at. Um, and if, uh, Jonathan, if you would like a, a response to that, or if Bethany needs a response to that, um, before, uh, two weeks from now, which is when we'll be on air live again, then I'd be happy to write something up and send it to either of you. You can email me, uh, at torahresource.com. That goes for everybody. Uh, anything else you want to say about Passover or anything else, Rob, before we take off and, and, uh, have, have a whole two weeks before we uh, come back? Um, no, I just pray that everybody uh, who participates in Chag HaMatzot, in Unleavened Bread, really takes to heart Paul's words hmm. um, that in Messiah we are, our nature is unleavened. As we're, not, we're not super fancy this or that. We're, we're simple. Sincerity, truth, these are the core uh, character traits uh, and and we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, right? We're not mm -hmm. to imagine ourselves to be something we're not. And so this is a good uh, lesson for that. And to think about, you know, spend some time studying what is leaven in Scripture, you know, mm -hmm. often. And um, what is it that we're abstaining from, right? If we're going to abstain from yeah. something that is contrary to our true nature, what is that thing that we're we're getting rid of? And and of course, like you point out in First Corinthians five, he mentions that uh, he gives one way of reading. But we can see leaven in terms of doctrines that build up, right? Uh, Paul says the the leaven of the Pharisees, which means their their teachings. Well, I don't think Yeshua wants us to take on all these teachings, right? I, I think we're he's he's building his ecclesia, and when he does it, he's building person by person who are. Uh, each one of us finding ourselves in him, born from above in him, and having to say, okay, it's upon me to discern between the word of God and, and this, the leaven of tradition. And I can't just, I can't just accept what somebody tells me, you know, like our funny intro, you know, this person, you know, who told you that? Well, this, this, you know, you have this line of the, the, what do they call it? The telephone story. Um, we're, we're called to a pretty high bar yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, what words come out of our mouth, what, how we build on rock rather than sand. All these things are easy to remember, but uh, they take a lifetime for us to, to sharpen our sword and, and to mature in our walk. No doubt. Okay. Well, I hope this uh, was a good conversation for everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, don't forget... 
please don't forget next week I will post up the the Passover special April 12th Wednesday I'll probably try to get it up around 9 a.m 9 30 a.m and that's going to uh yeah, and it'll be on YouTube. I'll post it on Facebook. You'll be able to see it everywhere. Will, there be, will people do have a chat room while that while they're watching it, even though it's a recording? That's a good question. We'll think about that, and uh, I'll let everybody know when I post it. And, uh, yeah, so, okay. Um, until next time, uh, I will try to get to that Mark question, uh, maybe in our off time. That's a good one. I hope everybody has a great Passover. Please don't forget that the center of our Passover should be what? Our great God and Savior. Yeshua, our Passover lamb. And the Messiah, of course, right? <laughs>